Hello everyone and welcome to the Head to Head podcast, the show less about the answers and all about the arguments. Our guests will go head to head with each other over multiple rounds until finally one is declared victorious and wins the prestigious honour of having their name enshrined on the esteemed Head to Head scoreboard. So without further ado, let's introduce our guests. First up, we have Wales' finest and our resident gym expert, it's Seb Belly. <laughs> hello. Hello, hello. Secondly, a man who took it upon himself to prove to me he knew enough about sport to appear on the show, it's Alex Adams. <laughs> hello. <laughs> and lastly, a man who changes his haircut as often as Paul Pogba, <laughs> it is Sam Dangerfield. Hi, you're right. <laughs> right, so let's just dive straight into our first round. The opening round of the show pits one guest against another with a topic that I'll give them. Each guest will get a brief opening statement and then I'll open the round for debate. The other guest will join me in scoring the round and declaring a winner. Now, my vote counts as two. So, yeah, you've got to suck up to me, boys. Um, remember, the most important part is the argument. You could say that KSI versus Logan Paul is the pinnacle of sport. And as long as you argued it well enough, you would win. Right, we all got it? We all got it? Yeah. All good. Perfect. Okay, so to kick us off, it's Seven Alex for this question. After Southampton's 9-0 loss against United, what is the biggest thrashing in sporting history? Okay, Alex, we're going to start with you. Yeah, so for this answer, I mean, I've thought about it quite a lot and there's been some really massive blowouts in sporting history. But for, for me, the one I remember vividly and I think that is it can't be matched is... The, at the 2014 World Cup and the semi-final where Brazil lost 7-1 to Germany. I remember vividly watching it that day on TV and just the sheer magnitude of what was happening, uh, in addition to Brazil's reputation, just made this like absolutely jaw-dropping. So for those of you who don't know, like it was, it semi, uh, World Cup had been going on that way so, so far. Brazil had been doing relatively well, nothing truly incredible, but we got to the semi-final. Um, they got through round of 16 quarterfinals and arrived with Germany at the semi-final. And the game just started off and it just went absolutely downhill. Um, and you've got to remember as well, it was in Brazil as well. So they had sort of home advantage here. But, you know, started up, lined up and Germany took the lead in the 11th minute with Thomas Muller bowling in Brazil's corner. And then it just kind of went downhill from there with Brazil, um, with Germany just kept lobbing in goals and it was at five nil at half time and like <laughs> <laughs> how you can recover from that i don't know and um finally in the 90th minute of the game brazil scored and like it just was chaos apparently at the at half time germany just realized that this wasn't an ordinary match and that like they needed to kind of go a little bit more careful <laughs> on brazil because it was just so embarrassing just the, i think the reason i picked this is just it's just Brazil. Like, this is someone who's won the World Cup five times. <laughs> um, they've got some of the world best players at their time, like Pele, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, just so many incredible players. And just the level of what happened in Brazil at the time, like, this, after this match, you had to call in the military police because the riots were so big. The, the president <laughs> was like, the president gave a comment, like, like, I know in this country when England lose you know it's all like oh, oh we tried and stuff and but the fact that huge riots their <laughs> leaders making comments and just everyone just so shocked like for me i don't think you can match this as, as a blow in history okay a strong opening statement from alex and now over to seb <laughs> i really like that because uh i've got very fond memories of that game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so funny um, so for my argument here, we've gone non-football. I've gone with the 2005 Lions Tour of New Zealand. Uh, for those, the uninitiated listening, basically every four years, a touring side gets together of the best uh, rugby players, rugby unionists from England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. Ireland and rugby compete as one nation. Heads up. So it's 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 the closest that you get in kind of a lot of big professional sports to like a, a dream team. Basically, every four years you put together a dream team. You go tour big Southern Hemisphere teams: your New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. Two thousand five Lions tour is coached by Clive Woodward. Stock is really high after winning the two thousand and three Rugby World Cup. Everyone thinks he's God's gift. He's redefined the game. He's a thinker. 
basically every single aspect of this was iconically terrible <laughs> to a point to a point where afterwards people wondered whether it should even happen again which is the reason that i've picked this so the first test they lose 21-3 they lose the second one 48-18 they lose the third one 38-19 so it's a 3-0 blowout for the first time in over 20 years the first time since the game had been professional he hires alistair campbell as his media relations manager tony blair's <laughs> alistair campbell <laughs> who gives such a tone-deaf speech to the players after the first game, comparing their service to warriors in Iraq serving their country, that a respected Irish rugby player wrote in his autobiography, his goal for the tour at that moment became finding Alistair Campbell afterwards and knocking him out when the <coughs> summer was over. Every, every little aspect of this, from how badly they performed on the pitch, so two minutes in, Brian O'Driscoll, one of the greatest rugby players of all time, gets his shoulder broken in a deliberate spear tackle. And honestly, that set the tone for the whole thing. So they lose that one 21-3. There's a cumulative score over the tour of 10740. And afterwards, serious kind of like rugby journalists are saying this was so bad in every conceivable way, from the performances on the pitch, the way they dealt with it off, the relationship between the media, the players, the manager. Do we need another Lions tour? So my I was drawn to this one just because I was like, this is the equivalent of a team losing an FA Cup final so badly. <laughs> that afterwards, afterwards, they cut to Alan Shearer in the studio and he goes, I think we should stop doing the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very, very, both really strong uh, opening arguments. Right, I'm going to open the floor to you both. Bait this out. Well, I mean, that, yeah, I, that, you, you, you know, that was a really, I do remember that, um, that tour and it was awful. And just putting <laughs> Alistair Campbell in charge it's like putting dracula in charge of the blood bank it's like it's it's, 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 it's truly it's truly awful but alistair campbell alistair campbell tried to motivate them by uh what he called a, a war wall where he put up clippings from the new zealand press to motivate them basically telling them how bad they were and after two days they had put so many clippings up there they then had to take it down because it was making them depressed <laughs> I mean, Alistair Campbell and war don't really go to work. That's not for this podcast. He loves it. Hey. But yeah, <laughs> it's pretty bad. I, I think you raised some really good points and it was pretty bad. But I think nothing matches this blowout. Like generally as a sport, football is bigger worldwide and there's a lot more money in it. And it's just the fact if this had been like, this wasn't like England where, you know, we have waves of doing well and everyone gets the hype. But this was Brazil. Like, um, FIFA has classed things like best, you know, best team of the year for like, uh, I think 12 years in a row by their ranking system, won the World Cup, not just in like in, in a couple of years, like, um, sorry, <laughs> one after the other. This is consistently over a long time, 1958, 1962, 1970. Um, and as I said earlier on, like just so many victories and some of the best players and like it just the, the decisions on the day of the manager, um, I just don't think nothing matches how bad this match was on such a global scale, on such a internationally critically acclaimed team as Brazil. I just, I don't see. <laughs> but I think, I'm interested. I think, to hear I think my, uh, my mitigation for the, the Lions case would be the nature of it means it is such what should be such like a, a dream team assembly that you could argue that that Brazil team, they've already got to a semi-final of a World Cup Obviously, the way they went out of that semi-final is humiliating, but the, the premise of them getting there is like, you know, they were without Neymar in the match, I think, off the top of my head. You, you, you look at that team and you think they had a, a moment of humiliation rather than that Brazil side being like... That, that Brazil side's remembered as a shambles because of those 90 minutes, not a kind of, oh, they were in the wilderness for years or whatever. And I think this Lions side pips it just because it would be the equivalent of putting together your your strongest possible footballing 11 from players in the world and then not even not even getting to the semi-final not even being able to say oh we didn't have Neymar available this is from from start to finish a shambles in every way and I, I feel like the the dream team aspect of it the assembly of it by a coach from different countries adds to it because the expectation is so high you're not dealing with your 
your country's player base where you're like, oh, we've got a great midfielder, but our left back, you know, he's he's a bit of a liability. There, there's no excuse to be this bad in these circumstances, I don't think. Alex? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're talking about sort of, yeah, it was gradual throughout the whole tournament. I mean, the question just sort of said, you know, what is the biggest fashion in sporting history? Um, I think it, it, I would have liked to have the questions a bit more specific. <laughs> yes, you raise a good point there. But I think just what in this, this I know it was only one match. And, you know, throughout the, get, throughout the rest of the World Cup, Brazil been doing all right, not amazingly to get to this point. But it's just the fallout after, like, the most tweeted about sporting competition ever. This is, like, not even matching things like the Super Bowl, which is always so big. The fallout, just the fact that, the, the president got involved and had to give a statement because it had become so bad. And that just, is astonishing. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, the president and just, of your country has to come out and make a statement. Because of your it might have only been... What's today's address about? Oh, just some sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, riots after the game, the Brazilian press calling it the biggest shame in history. Like, this is, this is a football match, right? I mean, I know football is the beautiful game and everything like that, but, like, for, for the press to come out, like, you know, when, when when England lose, you know, it's on the front of the tabloids and stuff for a day or two, but, like, this was something that went on for a while and it was so bad and there was investigations held and sackings and whilst, you know, the defeat at the, the Lions was... Was pretty bad and it was consistent it was just you know I, I just don't think you can match the sort of fallout that goes beyond just football of this game any final comments sir uh yeah I, i'll go back to the kind of the whole question mark over the existence and legacy of the lions being like it would be like the brazilian president going you know what i've seen it lads and there's no more national team <laughs> <laughs> people having to talk him out of it. He was like, no, I've just watched the replays. It was as bad as I remembered. That's it. We all play handball now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to call it there. <laughs> uh, really strong, really strong. Really enjoyed that. Sam, what are your thoughts? Um, I kept getting swayed on which argument was the strongest, I'll be honest. Um, Alex's opening statement, I thought, I thought I'd be siding with Alex, but I'm going to have to go with Sam. I think the, the the whole fact that the, the Lions was going, like there was talk about, about the Lions being disbanded altogether because of one tour is just, yeah, it says it all really, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to slightly go with Seb here too, just because the, the idea of them uh. getting rid of the whole thing because of how bad a team did. Although I, was, I, I think like, uh, I do think the argument was there to be won for Alex. I think, like, the fact that they came on the pitch... <laughs> I seem to remember, didn't the Brazilian players come on the pitch with, like, basically like, R.I.P. Neymar? <laughs> because yeah. he'd been injured. Yeah. And there was this whole, like, national crying because of they'd lost the... And then they got... And then Germany was just... I mean, the fact... Oh, five nil up in the first half is... And, and you're right, Alex. The, 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 I mean, they're both really strong. I'm going to give the point mm. to Seb, but, like... I just the, the fact that the German team had to say, let's keep it down, <laughs> in the semi-final of a World Cup. Oh, there but, is a there is a there is a really funny YouTube video of that match actually, where someone has like edited out the Brazil players, so it's just the German players on the pitch, and it, it shows like it just looks like a training exercise because by the like the fourth and fifth goals they're just kind of like rolling it into the net and it was, it's just empty the thing is because like, the, yeah. the first like 12 minutes was fairly close and then it was like four goals in 10 minutes i remember I've like li- popping out to get a drink coming back and being like oh my god it's four nil i've literally seen sunday league games that are better than it and yeah <laughs> yeah i mean is what happens when you put david luiz international is what happens if you put david luiz in your back line <laughs> it's kind of because i think yeah. tiago silva was also injured i think actually Right, yeah. anyway, fantastic first round. Really enjoyed both your arguments. Um, right, and Seb, it's back over to you again. We're going to have the two S's up against each other. It's Sam versus Seb. Uh, your question is this. Go. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos has announced that he is stepping down after over 20 years at the tech giant. But tell me one person who single-handedly brought the most success to a team. Right, Seb, you're going to start us off this time. 
Okay, so this is now my football answer. Uh, I have <laughs> gone for the late great Johan Cruyff at Barcelona because I, f I feel like his legacy at Barcelona is felt as a player, a manager, and then all the things he kind of instituted that outlived him. Well, literally outlived him, outlived his time as a manager, and now, you know, posthumously, they're still bearing fruit from that. So basically, as a player, he goes there, he's the best player in the world. Um, wins the Ballon d'Or there, wins the European Football of the Year there, uh, wins La Liga with Barcelona as a player, and it's the first time they've won it in 14 years. And they beat Real Madrid 5-0, which is a kind of huge shift in like, oh my goodness, there was a quote from like one of his teammates where they were like, when Johan was with us, we just we felt like we couldn't lose. He gave us like this swagger and this energy. He becomes a manager later in life and returns to Barcelona. Now, since he's not been there as a player, they've only won the league one time. 15 years later or so, he joins as a manager. They beat Real Madrid 5-0 again, this time him managing. <laughs> and in the space of five years, he gets them to four European Cup finals. Uh, they win four La Ligas. They win some Spanish Cups as well. And then in terms of the legacy he's had at Barcelona, he instituted uh, La Mathia, the the training academy that football fans all know and love because it's produced so many ridiculous world-class talents so the team that he assembled that included people like pep guardiola ronald koeman well ronald koeman is now there at barcelona and pep guardiola oversaw them in their most successful period ever they won i think i think it's 14 trophies in four years under pep guardiola at one point and that is a kind of like direct lineage of what he instituted because you've got a former Cruyff player playing in what he sees as an evolution of Cruyff's way with academy products from an academy that Cruyff crafted into what it is today. So I, I feel like he's unmatched for his uh, doing it on kind of every level. It would be like, you know, if Ferguson played for United, managed United, then ran United, that would be Johan Cruyff at Barcelona. Very strong answer, very strong answer to that. I really enjoyed it. I didn't know a lot of that stuff, actually. Although, I'm tempted to deduct your points for your absolute abomination of a pronunciation for La Masia. <laughs> uh, I believe it's uh, La Masia. <laughs> yeah. uh, um... I, I heard that. I heard that today because uh, I heard it twice. And I was like, surely the overpronounced one must be right. I heard, one guy, I heard one guy go La Masia and then one guy really confidently go La Masia. And I was like, yeah, it's probably that, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's Catalan. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Right. Ah, yeah, that'll be it. That'll be it. Um, Sam, right, let's uh, go to you. So I'm going 90 years in the past to uh, a man that absolutely revolutionised his sport, absolutely revolutionised the way that his country sees the sport and was in part responsible, became, became a national icon during the Great Depression. And that, of course, is the great Don Bradman, famous for his for his the the batting average above all other batting averages, ninety nine point nine four. He was only four runs off the. Uh, it was his final Test match where he was only four runs off scoring. Well, finishing it with an international average of of a hundred, but he got out for a duck. Um, the uh, the the next the second best batting average of anyone that's played more than. Uh, 20 test matches is is about 60 61 bradman's was 99.94 um, i think i think it's for for every century that he hit no for every it was for every three centuries that he hit he converted at least he converted one of them to a double century which is it's 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 beyond comprehensible i know obviously recently joe roots just converted a couple of centuries into double centuries but Brad Bradman's kind of miles miles above ev anyone else, and I look at I I went back onto some of his some of his big kind of famous Ashes tours, and there are there are three Ashes tours that that really stand out for me. Um, the the first one is the the 1930 Ashes, which obviously at the, at the height of the, the 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 Great Depression in Australia, Bradman hit three centuries, he hit two double centuries, and he hit one triple century. <laughs> As 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 in, as 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 in, as as Australia went on to beat beat England two one, to put that into perspective, Bradman scored nine hundred and seventy four runs in one test in one test series, which is still a record. The next best uh, from from the from England in in that tour was Sutcliffe, 
who scored 436 runs. Bradman scored more than twice as many as England's best batsmen. Then you've got the 1938 tour of England, where Bradman, Bradman hit 13 centuries. Again, it's incomprehensible. Um, and then finally, the, the 1948 tour of England, which is, was the, it was the only time ever that a cricket side have gone to England and gone unbeaten. Uh, the, the, the original Invincible Tour. 34 matches they played. They didn't lose one. There was one game, there was one practice game where they played against Essex. Uh, Bradman hit a couple hundred runs. Australia won by an innings and about 400 runs. As in their first innings, they posted 700. It's 730, I think. And to put, put, to put that into perspective, the, the Invincible team has been compared to all the other great kind of international cricket teams by a guy called Tom Graveney. Bradman's team came second only to the 1984, 1984 West Indies team, which was obviously famous for having Clive Lloyd, Joel Garner, uh, Malcolm Marshall, Courtney Walsh, Viv Richards. I think it's just to round it all off. Prime Minister John, John Howard in 2001 called Bradman the greatest living Australian. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything to anyone to match him. Right, two very strong and actually quite different uh, examples. Let's let's have you hash it out, lads. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think. Do you do you think Bradman is un- undoubtedly just a, a freakish natural individual athlete, like insane records that the sort of records where you just think, will they ever be beaten? Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that translates though into the kind of I don't know, like trickle down success to use a potentially problematic phrase <laughs> trickle down yeah. success of someone like a someone like a Cruyff where you think he did this as a, a player in the 70s mm. then a manager in the 90s and then this youth academy in like the noughties and you think the the way that sport is different and it's not to belittle kind of sporting records of old like I'm not kind of a, mm. a truther about oh you could run this fast whenever but like the the way he spanned kind of different eras of sport. Do you think do you think Bradman could go toe to toe with that? I I, I that, this is part of the reason why I chose Bradman because I think absolutely he can. Bradman's very famous. He has his own he has his own museum in his hometown, where which which is this, it's incredible anyway. But Bradman Bradman is famous because as a kid he practiced his batting. He, he practiced against a wall on his own uh, solo cricket with simply a golf ball and a stump and 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 that kind of that attitude to batting that attitude to uh kind of hand-eye coordination and and just pure skill has 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 actually trickled down you look at you can look at so many more recent kind of test greats that replicate bradman's style replicate bradman's kind of diminutive stature he was he was five foot seven you look at yes. in the last in the last in the last yes. twenty thirty years. <laughs> in the last twenty thirty years, for the listeners, the listeners, Michael is a very small man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, going on. So, so, <laughs> maybe so, so, Saliba, maybe you should have uh, tried tried to become a cricket. So, yeah, maybe you could have been quite good because I had a look at um, like Sachin Tendulkar is another obviously uh, cricketing great. He's five foot five kind of rep- replicates Bradman's style. Bradman actually famously said that of anyone, Tendulkar is the only one that, that he's ever seen in, in himself. And you've got Rick, Ricky Ponting as well, who's obviously a kind of well, Seb, 70 you, years so, so, later. So, so Seb, have you any, well, I, any, any points against that then? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would say that Cruyff, Cruyff's legacy at Barcelona is a bigger mm. impact because... The state of the the cricket cricket as a sport and Australian cricket as a sporting body undoubtedly richer for having Bradman. But I think if yeah. you take Cruyff out of Barcelona, it's kind of like a house of cards that we've kind of grown up. People of our age, we can't imagine Barcelona not being the power that they are. Every mm. European Cup they've ever won is either from Cruyff or post Cruyff. He won their first one as manager. The next uh-huh. one was run one with his protégé managing and his academy products playing their La Ligas they've won 26 La Ligas again 16 to 10 weighted in favour of pre and post Cruyff in some format 
And I feel mm. like if you take the measure of these is if you take Cruyff out of Barcelona, then the Spanish teams that we grew up with being terrifying international powers are Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, maybe Sevilla's Villarreal. If you take Bradman out of Australian cricket, it's still a tough place to go play cricket. And I think the inf- the influence he's had in Catalan identity is almost similar to the one he had in Dutch identity. So when he was at Barcelona, he, he gave his son a Catalan name rather than a Dutch name, his son Jordi Cruyff. He's, uh, it, it kind of represented this embracing of him and he there was a there was a journalist who said when he beat madrid 5-0 one of the times he beat madrid 5-0 they were like he's done more for us catalan people in 90 minutes than some people have done some politicians have done in years and Mm. i think that's also pressing when you think of how much more prevalent barcelona are as like a out and proud catalan force in world football there's questions of identity beyond just what he did as a footballer but what he did as a, a cultural icon i think if you take Johan Cruyff out of the story of Barcelona, then we're talking about like a, a, a good mid-table side who occasionally kind of punch above their weight and they're like, oh yeah, decent place. This, this, okay, so, so yeah, this, Sam, what would you say about, about the, the legacy this, then and what, what was left by, what the impact that, uh, that Bradman had then? Um, yeah, well, no, f- f- first off, I was just going to ask Seb, what, what kind of players were... were... Cruyff playing alongside either either for the Netherlands side or for for Barcelona or, or, or as or as manager of as Barcelona because that's what's so that's so kind of what's fantastic with Bradman is he was there aren't really that many other greats that were in that that were in the sides that Bradman played in it was very much it was Bradman versus versus England he was he was classed as there was a there have been reports that Bradman counts essentially as three three Australian batsmen, which which is quite significant. I know I know obviously Cruyff had also had a had a big impact, but what was the standard of players that he was playing alongside like? I would say if we're if we're talking Dutch national team, I would mm. give it to Bradman because I mean Cruyff was famously part part of this like probably the best what what is often thought of the best team to never win a World Cup that Dutch team change the game in so many ways but when he went to this Barcelona team he was going into a team that was uh, well first when he went in as a player he's going into a team that wasn't challenging for league titles they'd not won it in years teams low on confidence it's not kind of a, a well put together machine off the pitch and he instantly kind of reinvigorated their season in his first season the one where they beat Real Madrid and was undoubtedly the kind of focal point. It wasn't like he was surrounded by a bunch of losers, but he was so comfortably kind of the figurehead of that team. And it was a similar case when he then went in as manager. He was overtaking a club in disarray. There was falling out from the presidents to the players. It was a shambles. I think he took them over in like seventh. And that's the sort of thing where I think that is unthinkable to me. If Imagine if you didn't follow football for a year and you checked in on La Liga and you're like, oh, Barcelona are in seventh. You go. What on earth has happened? Wasn't but that, that was happening this year. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm very much waiting my uh, my protege status towards Guardiola, not Koeman. If we, if we can just look at if we can look at that Barcelona team. Okay, right. I'm going to call it there. Um, I, I really strong both arguments. Actually, I think it's really tough. Uh, Alex, where are you where are you thinking on this? Yeah, both of you had really great arguments. Um, both men, you argued that are true sporting icons and just their legacy has lived on and did so much for their nations they represented um i think sam you had slightly better argument on a few things not to say yours wasn't good said it was really quite hard to pick but if you just look at what don bradman did like his test batting average of 100 like the legacies left you know more than 100 years on in cricket he's still you know seen as just the greatest ever and he did so much um for his nation and you know johan you know he yeah in football was did again so much he was a great coach he was a great player but just for the legacies left in in sport in cricket and what he did for cricket i think i'm gonna have to give it to you sam and uh with don bradman okay one point for sam ah oh, this is so hard because i thought <laughs> that you you both made Really good points. I actually thought I was siding more with Seb, and then I think that Sam kind of, I, I you know, he, his last sort of closing argument was really strong. I thought, um, you know, this it was a one-man team that 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 Australia team, and and the the numbers 
are just astronomical. Mm. Um, and I think that it's difficult because I think that in comparison to football, and it's weird because there's more people playing, but I think that you it can be more of an individual game, cricket, because... You know, you're batting, you're kind of, well, certain aspects of it, sorry, can be more individual than football, which you're always playing in a team at the end of the day. Um, I think I'm going to go with Sam on this, actually. Um, but it was very close, really close. And I thought both really good arguments. I was so surprised, by the way, that no one went Maradona at Napoli. I, 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 I almost <laughs> did. I was, I was thinking about a footballer and I would have gone for Maradona. I was very, when I, when I, put that um, out I was really expecting someone to go for Maradona at Napoli because uh... didn't, I didn't want to break down in tears this near Napoli's <laughs> death yeah it's also someone yeah you someone would have to argue against the person who's just recently yeah, died yeah. tarnish his <laughs> legacy go on in fairness Maradona did his best to do that um, <laughs> right okay so the final of our scene head to heads it's Alex and Sam debating this quite on topic as well so cricketer billy root was interviewed this week talking about growing up with his brother joe but who are sports most successful siblings sam get us underway that i I was looking through kind of all all the famous siblings and i realized that there aren't that many that have that both achieved a lot um and i realized that it's whilst it's really rare for there to be a pair of siblings to both achieve a great deal of success in their professional sports what I realise is it's even rarer to have six siblings have successful sports careers. <laughs> six, six siblings. This is why I've gone, I've gone for the extraordinary two Alangi brothers. Uh, Anitalia, Alessana, Henry, Sanel, Freddie, and of course Manu. From the first two Alangi brothers taking part in the 1991 Rugby World Cup to uh, the 2019 Rugby World Cup, where, of course, Manu helped England to second place, scoring a p- the pivotal try against the reigning champions, New Zealand, uh, in the kind of in the nail clinching 1917, 1997 semi-final win. Uh, the two have all enjoyed quite considerable success. Between them, they've represented England, the Lions, Samoa, the Pacific Islanders in Rugby Union. Uh, they've represented Samoa's national sevens team, uh, Samoa's rugby league side, as well as one of them dabbling in American football when Freddie played for Leicester Falcons. The brothers have achieved great success at domestic level as well. Five of the six of them have all played for Leicester Tigers during Leicester's very successful kind of early 2000s era. At least one Tulangi has represented Leicester in each campaign when Leicester won the Premiership three years on the bounce from 2000 to 2002 and then reached the final in consecutive years from 2005 to 2013. I think that's a really strong... Yeah, I think that's that's a very, very strong uh, opening argument there. Alex, let's go to you. I think, for me, myself, I think, without a doubt, there have been no siblings that have come as far and dominated so much as Venus and Serena Williams in tennis. I think if you ask anyone to name siblings... Some people might say sort of the Ferdinand brothers. Some people might say, I don't know, could list off a few things, but no one, I think every time people will more often say Venus and Serena Williams. From where they've come in what is such a privileged sport, they continue to dominate. And how long, how, how long fabulously they've played for that time. It's hard to see, I think, how they'll ever be the likes of the Williams sisters again in any other athletic discipline. Between them, they've taken almost half of the 67 Grand Slam titles they have competed in since 1997. And Serena holds an astonishing 23 singles titles, with Venus uh, having seven, which is still in itself impressive. Between them, they have three Olympic gold medals and have made over $100 million in prize money for just the two decades they have completed professionally. So I really do think they are, I don't think it can be argued that they are the greatest siblings in any all of athletic competition. They're because of their shared achievements, the, the fact that how hard they've worked and where they've come from. You know, two African-American sisters who came from Compton, California, which is a working class suburb in one of the most gang ridden parts of LA to like go to Wimbledon at the all England, you know, tennis and croquet club. It's just incredible. They, they managed to learn on public courts from their dad, who himself taught himself from, from like DVDs and videos and stuff. He had no, professional training so they couldn't afford it and no paid lessons I think I remember reading that they practiced on like 
pitches with grass cracking through and, and glass strewn everywhere whilst they heard sirens in the distance. They've dominated women's tennis, a sport, and they've done so much for women of colour um, in a sport that is literally, you know, the racial breakdown probably lies somewhere between Downton Abbey and really, really <laughs> light skin. <laughs> um, the only other black the only other black woman to win a Grand Slam before them was Aletha Gibson, who lasted it in 1958. They've inspired so many women of colour and from disadvantaged backgrounds to climb the sport ladder. And throughout their time, they've, you know, they've had so much racial abuse. Their father, um, early on when they started playing, I think they were about 10 or 11 years old, um, they took them out of playing professionally because they just were getting so many racial, racial comments at matches. And add to all of that, that I've said, they faced each other on the court over 30 times. <laughs> There's a huge professional rivalry between them. What, where else in sport do you have such a high level rivalry where at the end of the match, they hug each other and go off and are still sister and sister. Like they're two top professionals at the top of their games, won so many titles, both ranked number one and two in the singles ranking respectively, four gold medals, just incredible i don't think you can argue for that okay two well i mean we are going to argue about it two really strong by the way two really really strong quite different answers right let's open up the debate um yeah i mean alex makes some phenomenal points um i'll be honest i wanted to argue for the for serena and venus <laughs> before you took it before yeah. me um which is why, yeah, that that says it all for 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 the duo. I mean, the the statistic about Wimbledon, for instance, from two thousand twenty nineteen, at least one of them has been in the final sixteen times. You're making says, his point. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know, because the, and this is and this is why I didn't. Once I realised that, well, because I can't go for the Williams, you've obviously argued for the Williams sisters. I couldn't argue for any any duo any other kind of siblings duo like you've got the Murrays you've got the Klitschko's you've got the Schumacher's uh you've got the Ferdinand's the Neville's etc which is why which is why I've 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 taken a slightly different uh kind of approach which is these are these are these are these are five six six brothers five of whom have all played for Leicester Tigers during Leicester's most uh dominant period of their of their history imagine being the commentator it's, for that bit <laughs> it's too loud, too loud, <laughs> <aren't it? laughs> trying to keep up on the um, radio you've got no idea what's going on <laughs> yeah well ex exactly so you've got um so it was 2011 that alisana won the premiership top try scorer award for leicester when leicester won the title the same year manu won the aviva premiership player of the year that's two that two absolutely incredible players and i thought what what also appealed to me with the two alangi brothers is it's not just in their one sport it's not just in rugby union the the first two the first of the two alangi brothers to take part in professional sport wasn't actually in rugby union it was freddie in the he won the 1999 and 2000 super league titles with st helens which is obviously rugby, the rugby league and then you've also got a, a, an american footballer you've got they played sevens as well. And that's my only kind of thing with, with the Williams. Obviously, there are two of them. I know, obviously, they, with tennis, there are, you, you, well, singles, one versus another. That is how tennis works, I will say. That is, that's <laughs> funny enough, that's how tennis works, yeah. Unless it's doubles. <laughs> I think they've played in doubles, actually. I, yeah, they have. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I don't know what their record is, but um, yeah. Alex, um, what would you say then in response to that? So they, they, yeah, you've got a good point. There are six of them. There are six of them. I mean, and yes, they've done a lot in rugby. And but if you ask anyone on the street, you know, not I wouldn't say I'd say more people would say they don't know them and don't. And, you know, quite rightly, they're fantastic. But the Williams sisters, they've not only just completely changed the sport, opened up, shown people who are young from disadvantaged backgrounds, you know, from minorities saying, actually, you know what, this tennis mm. isn't a sport that's dominated well, it still is, to, you could argue, dominated by white, you know, middle class people, right? But they said, yes, you can get to the top of this game. You know, I can do this because they've done it. They've, you know, their track record of what they've achieved in terms of being 
so high up, winning so many tournaments, Olympic medals, making so much money, completely dominated the sport. They're household names. Everyone knows who they are. And I think, you know, the fact, Sam, that you were also going to um, <laughs> argue for them just says how incredible they are. Like, yeah, I thought I was also going, I was actually going to talk about the Brownlee brothers. Um, I think they're yeah. amazing. But as I got halfway through thinking about it, I just thought, well, yeah, they've won Never. a few medals and tournaments, but how can you argue, how can you not argue for the Williams sisters? They have achieved so much in sport and to broken fair, down barriers the, the, from such humble the, the background. The Brownlee brothers record is 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 impressive, but it's you're right in saying that it's absolutely nowhere, nowhere near the 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 the, the Williams sisters record. Mm. Oh, oh, I think I'm gonna call it there. <laughs> yeah, because um, I think I don't wins. really know what else to say to be honest. <laughs> um, Seb, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was saying it's it's kind of a, it's a it's a quality quantity situation with the siblings because six siblings do playing professional sport even if it's, you know, I don't know, tiddlywinks is <laughs> an impressive feat, an impressive feat. So the fact that they all did it, and I thought, oh, he's playing to my strengths here because obviously I'm a big rugby union fan. Uh, and then you pull the Williams sisters out of the bag and you just think, oh God, to have to have two siblings in the conversation for like the best of all time. When you, when you list the stats there, Alex, some of the, um, like the, the, the sheer number of Grand Slams won, would be insane anyway. So I think when you also added in the the cultural, like political, emotional pull that they have as well, I just uh, I, th- I think I'd have to go I'd have to go Williams, which is um, probably not unsurprising because they are just unbelievable. <laughs> but... I thought, yeah, I thought to be honest, I thought Sam his opening statement was really strong, really strong. I thought mm-hmm. the the idea of like yeah. the longitude, like the fact that you know you had one brother competing in the World Cup, um, was it ninety one? You said, and then uh, um, yeah, ninety one. Yeah, right up to twenty nineteen, um, with England getting to the finals, um, representing different countries, different sports. It's, but but the stat that I just I think will be my takeaway from this is that the Williams sisters have won over half <laughs> of the Grand Slams they've competed in. Um, that's and it and also because uh, and it wasn't really mentioned, I suppose. But the length of time that's actually gone on for yeah. is astro- mm. uh, you know it's astonishing. I mean, we talk about you know Federer and Nadal and and um, Djokovic dominating the male side of the sport, but it's astonishing when you think two women virtually who are sisters have dominated the entire. Uh, females like the sport. I mean, I know there's been, you know, there's a Saka coming through and there's, you know, had Sharapova and a few others, but but really it is the, the Williams sisters. Um, but I did think, actually, Sam, I think you didn't give yourself enough credit for how strong some of your arguments mm. were, but it is all about the arguments in this show and you didn't give yourself the credit. So, <laughs> so I'm going with Alex for this. Oh, well, thank you. Which puts us in the really odd situation going into this uh, this blind round. Where you're all drawing, it's everyone won around by a whitewash. So, uh, so you've all got three points. Um, astonishingly, going into our blind round. Right. So, the rules here are slightly different. This time, the guests will give their answers before they get the question. No matter what they've picked, they will have to defend it to the death. Now, since there are three of you today, you'll get one minute each to defend the same question. I'll then give out two points to whoever I deem the winner. Okay, right. Name a sport. Athletics. Athlet. Okay, athletics. Right, we'll, we'll take that as one sport. Fine. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll, t- I'll take American okay. football because it's Super Bowl weekend. American football, athletics. I'll go with my own sport, hockey, field hockey. That is. <laughs> okay. Right, Sam, you're gonna love this question then. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell me why this sport should be banned and never played again. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex you're going with athletics I've got Seb's going with American football and Sam is going with as he's just admitted his own sport hockey right, Alex since you answered first we're going to put you first are you ready you've got one minute yes go well right athletics why should we ban it well look let's look at all the problems that there's been in the sport recently so many doping scandals it's absolutely ridiculous um how, you know, compared to so many other sports, it doesn't matter if it's the 100 metres, the javelin. Over the years, at Olympic level, different sports, doping scandals have, have, have taken over the sport. And and let's also look at other people, athletes like uh, Oscar Pistorius. 
Um, also, you know, it's boring. You're just watching people going all the way around the track. I mean, yeah, there's other more sports. Let's think of rugby, you know, cricket. It, it's far more exciting. People just running around a track or jumping over a thing. Anyone can do that. You can do that outside. Um, <laughs> so many other sports are just have so much more money in them, more fans. And you, it's not even one sport. There's just loads of different things, track, fields. It's just rubbish. <laughs> okay. That was horrible. Up. I hated that. <laughs> That's great. Anyone can do it. <laughs> okay. Um, Seb, we're going to go to you next. Right. Are you ready? Yep. Go. Right. This weekend is the Super Bowl. Every year during the Super Bowl, what is one of the biggest stories? Who is doing the bloody halftime show? <laughs> Your sport does does not deserve to continue existing if it is a vehicle by which ageing pop stars reinvigorate their career in front of a captive audience waiting for you to move away for the sport. And also, in the past decade, the NFL has paid out $1 billion in a lawsuit because of their manhandling of concussions and early onset dementia in players. So not only are you just encouraging aging pop stars when you could actually be watching music videos instead of American football, (laughs) you're also encouraging danger towards children. High school kids play this, adults play this. It's dangerous, you're killing people, just watch the music videos instead. Why have you got cheerleaders there for? If this is a sport that can stand up on its own, you can just rely on them all being super athletes. Stop watching the sideshow and watch a sport where you're actually thinking about the game. Okay, okay. Beautifully argued that. Um, Very good. Right, and to our last one, why should hockey be banned? (laughs) Sam, go. Hockey needs to be banned because, firstly, it's really dangerous. It's really really easy to knock people's teeth out. Um, I've had... Fingers broken by uh, flailing hockey sticks. It's terrifying. You don't want to be a goalie. It's also really expensive to be a goalie. That's the that's the other issue. There is no money in hockey, right? It's 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 essentially a poor man's football, right? Uh, every kid in PE, every every kid in PE at school just wants to play football on the Astro. Yeah, all they all, all all PE teachers ever want them to do is play hockey. No one cares. Uh, people don't watch it. I mean, I play hockey. I don't really watch it. I watch the Olympics now and again, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> another thing, there's no offside rule. What's that about? <laughs> What's the point? You could just you could just go hang, uh, have someone p- uh, ping an aerial seventy yards, and then you you bat you you bat it into the goal. What's the point in that? You've also got a, a D that you could you can only score in the D, right? Why <laughs> right, time up. Halfway line. <laughs> time up. Well, I like that, just became, that just became Sam, just his nitpicks with his own sport. <laughs> yeah. I really, I really I'm looking forward like there was some Sam, stuff to get off your chest yeah. there. Sam, I'm looking forward to you uh, never playing that again. It's such yeah. a dangerous sport. Oh, so. no. No, we're, about, we're about one minute away from you calling out an old coach by name. Yeah. And another thing. <laughs> I why, wasn't why didn't I start that county final? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really entertaining. That was really good. Actually, all three of you did a really good job there um i <laughs> loved alex's <laughs> panicked well anyone could do it it's just running around a track <laughs> i wasn't expecting that when you said pick a sport i thought i was gonna have to like argue for a, a random player or something or something and you just <laughs> asked me to do the complete i was opposite. really hoping people would do what sam did which is pick a sport they love <laughs> well um, i do i do love that i do have athletics that's why i picked it <laughs> um i because oh, i thought seb was right uh, as in like not that not that not that it should be bad but I'm just it's it's madness that right the there go the super bowl story. listeners who are tuning in for a sports podcast this weekend but it's madness that like the biggest draw of the super bowl is is who's playing the halftime show imagine if in the world cup final you know they were like oh here's take that like it's just <laughs> what a bizarre it would be anyway um gosh really hard though because I think all three of you did a really good job, but our first finalist, because the other two, it's gonna be, it's gonna still be a head. Well, I'm gonna have to sort you two out, but our first finalist, I'm gonna put Seb through for uh, for his Super Bowl comments. Yeah, right, well done, so man. I don't know if you listened last week. We've got a really foolproof way of deciding <laughs> the other finalists. I'm gonna pick a number <laughs> between one and ten. <laughs> okay. You, right, Sam, go first. 
What? Pick a number. Yeah. Eight. No. Six. Uh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> and Alex is two. two. Oh. <laughs> that, that's it. That's that is it. it. <laughs> Look, there's a lot okay. of luck in sport. Okay, you know. Amanda Rico. True. True. It's, like the FA, it's like the FA Cup. Field draw. hockey. <laughs> It's like the FA Cup draw. You never know. You know. You just, just... <laughs> I'll just pick them out. Uh, right. Okay. So I'm going to give you to one statement. One of you has to. Well, one of you has to choose one side, and the other one has to choose the other side. There's no contrary here. You don't get time to debate it. It's just 20 seconds each to make your case. Right. Since Seb was in the lead, he actually won the round. I'm going to let them decide which side of the debate they're going to come down on. Okay. Right, as it was Cristiano Ronaldo's 36th birthday yesterday, it's a very simple question, Messi or Ronaldo? Uh, I, w- I will be going uh, Messi. Okay, so Alex, you're going to be Ronaldo. Right, uh, Seb, you're going to start us off. Why is Messi the greatest player? Go. Uh, Messi is the greatest player because uh, <laughs> there's everything that Ronaldo does that he does, but he also does better. So he's top of assists levels, goals levels, chances created. He's an all-round better footballer. And I feel like the argument for Ronaldo is about who's better in the box, who's a better striker because of the way he's aged. Messi is better at playing the sport of football than Cristiano Ronaldo. Done. Very good. Very strong. Filled the time. That's good. Right, 20 seconds. Why is Ronaldo better than Messi? Go. Right, he's just generally better football. His play style is better. He's more. Have you seen him defending? He's. Um, <laughs> he's yes, he hasn't won as many Golden Shoe awards and stuff. But and also the things he does for football, he makes. Think about how much. How, what, right, what an icon uh, he is. seconds. <laughs> this is the simplest one I've ever had to decide. I do feel a bit sorry for Alex. It's not his number one sport. <laughs> but, right, Sam, wait, what are your thoughts on this? Um, <laughs> the gold, he's won less goals. I think he's actually won more. Is the, I actually think Ronaldo's no, he's, scored more he's... goals. Um, well, you know, I, was Sam, I think we already know. Which is kind yeah, of, absolutely. Um, the winner of this week's head-to-head <laughs> Is Seb Belly. Congratulations. Oh. Thank you, boys. Honestly, I've loved doing this show. It's been really, really good. So many good arguments. Really, really close as well. Um, thank you very much to my guests for their phenomenal work today. Tune in next week for more arguments, debates, and perhaps even some knowledge. I've been your host, Michael Sleever, and thank you for listening in. <laughs>